Hello, welcome to another episode of the Richmond Bigfooty Tiger Cast. With the Tigers still sitting pretty at the top of the ladder, in excellent form after a very good win against Geelong. They're, uh, they're officially now our bunnies, I think it's all safe to say. After many, many years of pain and torture they've put us through, it's about time we got got a few back over them. Uh, our guest tonight is a, well, he's almost the co-host virtually, Grokadok. Welcome to you, mate. Thanks for having me back, Michael. It's always, always great fun. Oh, I can't get rid of you. No, it's always good having you back on. Really enjoy your insights. And you seem to be a crowd favourite with lots of people listening in, which is good. And our second guest is a first-time podcaster, a long-time listener, I hope. Uh, Terra Tiger, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Michael. It's good to be on. Pleasure. And like we usually ask all our new guests, um, how did you become a Tiger supporter? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I grew up in Hobart um, in the era of the VFL, like late 70s. So, you know, back in Hobart, you know, everyone's huge footy fan of back in those times anyway. So, you know, every school kid had a team and you, you know, had to have a team and you had your Carltons and these types of things. You know, obviously I, I, I picked Richmond. And so um, also my local footy team was, was Tigers. It's more coincidental than anything, but I, I latched onto Tigers at an early age and sort of ran ran forward. So, you know, obviously I've seen a lot of pain, but you know, in recent times has you know been some been some better times, and obviously last year was magical. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of just evolved and got passionate, and now I'm sort of forty years on, you know, rusted on, and all that sort of stuff. So, all good. And do you have a favourite moment from the grand final from last year? Ah. Uh, Look, it was all great, but I, you know, this is a personal one for me. Um, I think probably when Butler snapped that goal, I, I sort of knew we'd had it, and I was with my brother there, and you know, some people on the from the forum know my brother Grok, and I knows him personally, and I just put my arm around my brother, and it was just a really special moment for me. Oh, very nice. And and what about the Tigers of this year? Did you expect us to be going as well as we did, or did you anticipate there'd be some kind of a hangover like what the Bulldogs had? Yeah, obviously the hangover was the worry. Um, I was pretty confident in you know what I'd seen last year and the game plan would would stack up and and it did. But but you know to be frank, it's, it's probably stacked up better than I thought it would. And you know I wouldn't have been surprised if we were sort of bottom of the eight, you know, trying to push forward. But you know obviously it's it's all gone to plan. Yeah, it's been an amazing year. Uh, one that I think took a few of us by surprise, but in a good way. Now the game on Friday night. Um, I must admit, I mentally prepared myself to lose this game, and if I had have submitted my tips, if I had have remembered, I would have actually tipped Geelong. But um, the boys played quite well, I think, over the course of four quarters, and we come away with a three-point win. How did you see the game, Grok? Yeah, it was a very, very tough game, obviously, with the rain and the slippery conditions that made it a very contested game. Um, obviously, with Geelong's midfield, that... Um, and the, the the players that they have going through there, it was always going to be a tough ask in in the wet weather, and you know the the grinding game. I thought uh, we we were the better side for probably three quarters of that game. Um, there was really only a ten minute burst in the second quarter and a ten minute burst in the last quarter where Geelong really looked like they were getting on top. Um, so it's one of those games, you know, the margin was three points, but I think the actual scoreboard flattered Geelong in the end. We just thoroughly outplayed them. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I know I said just before that I would have probably tipped Geelong and I really would have, but 
at about half time, and I don't want this to come across arrogant, it was just the way the game was going. I felt we were unlucky not to be about six or seven goals ahead with the amount of entries we had and the way we controlled the game. We just couldn't convert, which is credit to Geelong's defenders as well for weathering the storm. But yeah, I felt we had it on our terms for a lot of the first half. Yeah, that's that's where you know I'm sort of a little a little bit dis- disappointed with the overall margin because you have a look. Yeah, we we banked the the three uh, the four points, but at the same time, it really should have been a five or six goal win in the end. It was just that third quarter where we we sort of blew Geelong off the park a little bit. We kicked four goals five as opposed to two goals one, and the you know if we had to kick two or three goals in that. Uh, more in that third quarter, Geelong probably wouldn't have gotten within, you know, three or four goals of us in that last. So it's one of those things where we've been saying, well, most of us on the board have been saying all year that our inaccuracy is is going to cost us at some point, and it very nearly did against the Cats on Friday night. And Tara, what about yourself, mate? What did you make of the game? Yeah, I mean... Going in, like you, Mike, was I was sort of a little bit hesitant, a bit worried that you know we might get rolled by Geelong, just just a sort of a feeling, and and that feeling was real. But you know, once the game sort of opened up and you know established itself, I thought you know, like we've talked about here, we had, we had control, um, and like Grock said, you know, apart from just two phases, we you know had good control. I thought, and um, I was never really that worried about losing it. But obviously, when you know they get within one goal really late, anything can happen, and you know if Ablett kicks that goal, we lose potentially um so when grokey talk about you know disappointed in the margin i was just more encouraged that we actually could you know come away with the four points in the end yeah and i know i've spoken about it a few weeks in a row now but the, the stats on paper still don't well still suggest we shouldn't have won the game i mean mainly you look at the contested possession geelong were plus 30 in that now, in 99% of AFL games, if a team's plus 30 in contested possession, they would typically win it. Um, I know we had the inside 50s, we had them covered by 22, but what? how are we able to sort of defy these kind of things? I know stats are only that just that just numbers, but it just seems crazy that we keep winning these games. Yeah, I think um, what I put it down to is just, just some... Oh, star quality, if you like, you know, when it really counted, you know, apart from that snap that he missed it late in the in the um, well, at the start of the first uh, last quarter, you know, Jack I thought was huge, you know, gets us off to a good start, two goals in the first quarter, and you know, continually through the game he was always a threat. So when when you've got you know pockets of um, great great players and rely on Jack and Edwards and these types of things, I think you know that type of contribution um, really helped us, and it leads us to the to the point where I think. You know, the sort of even contribution across the board from Richmond is what really sort of, um, you know, put us on our way. You know, they had a lot of stats, obviously, at the high end with Dangerfield and Selwood and Kelly and these guys. But, you know, we sort of had an even contribution through, you know, the whole team. And I thought that's what really did it for us. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Grok, what about our captain, Trent Cotchin? He had a game-high 41 pressure points, which is just absolutely off the charts. Um, I think Jack Graham's hit 41 at some point, but uh, that, that's a crazy number. How have you seen his game? I thought his game was absolutely immense, and it it makes me laugh because there's there's actually a thread on the main board where it's, um, someone posed the question that uh, should Trent Cotchin be dropped, and <laughs> they they, okay. they they cited his disposal count over the last four weeks, where I think the highest amount of disposals he's had's been nineteen, and that's that's the biggest thing with Cotchin 
now the player that he is. He doesn't need the the disposal numbers to actually influence the contest. His his aggression at the ball, you know, his willingness to to go go in hard and and tackle and harass and just do the the one percenters. That's what's keeping him, you know, in the side. He's actually impacting a contest without needing to do it with the football in his hand. So, I actually think. Even though his statistical output is down, I reckon he's probably having one of his best years that he's had in his career. He's just been he's been so selfless and and doing all the team things. He's really been setting an example for the, for the younger blokes coming in. So, you know, I, I think he's actually I think he's had a really really good year. Yeah, yeah, I, I think agree. that that's. Oh, sorry, go on, Michael. No, I was just saying, I was, I, I was just sort of echoing the sentiments that I agree for sure. Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, I was speaking about the even contribution across the field, and I think that that leadership sort of fosters that type of even contribution. You know, we see Koch doing his stuff. He doesn't have to get 35. He gets his 20, 22, whatever it might be, but, you know, just sets a path for everyone else to follow. So I think it's really huge. It's just those desperate ground balls that he wins. Like, he just goes into animal mode every time the ball's within five metres of him or someone else has the ball. Um, like you said, Grock, he just sets a really massive example. And I agree. I think he's having one of his best years, despite his possession count. Um, the only thing I'd like to see him have done differently on Friday night was he was running inside 50, and he decided to pass one off when he was at about 40. He should have probably maybe had the shot, uh, maybe taken it upon himself a bit more to extend the lead a little bit. But, I mean, that's a very minor fault to, to pull out of his game. Yeah. Well, there's a bit of that, wasn't there? Because, um, you know, when we do win inside 50s by 22 or whatever it was and, you know, <laughs> only beat them by a few points, then obviously there's a little bit of problem in um, sort of inside 50 coordination. And in, yeah, in maybe I, guys not yeah. being, being being sort of not selfish enough in some instances, I think. Yeah, I, I think the biggest difference, uh, the, the thing with that when he decided to pass it off was if the player inside 50 hadn't have been Liam Baker, who we've been desperate to try and get him his first goal for the last you know couple of weeks now, I don't think Cochin would have passed that off. I think he saw Baker and was like, you know, this will be a chance for him to, to kick his first. And, I mean, we saw it in the first quarter where Cochin burst through 50 and, you know, ran to 45 and just slotted it straight through the middle. And it's one of those things that I think Koch needs to start taking the onus on you know, more he needs to start taking the responsibility of nailing the shots when we get them because our, our biggest thing is sometimes we're too unselfish and it, it goes against us on the scoreboard, especially in close games. You know, if we've got, if you think that, if you actually think that the, um, the it's it's better than, you know, 50 50 that you're going to kick the goal, you may as well kick it. If, if you're not sure you can do it, that's when you should pass it off and, you know, we've we've had too many players these days. You know, running in towards goal, thirty out. You know, and try and do the handball over the top, and it it doesn't work. And it's like, just play the percentages, back yourself in. It, it's really not not hard. Yeah, agree. And speaking of goals, uh, you mentioned it before, Terry, but Jack Rewalt in very good form with another four goals. Uh, the player I want to highlight, though, which I think is a direct result as to why Jack's got the, all these goals in recent weeks, is Jacob Townsend. Now, on pure stats alone. If you just look at kicks, handballs, marks, goals, etc., as a forward, there's probably a lot of arguments out there that he doesn't deserve his spot in the team. But if you actually watch his game, and I encourage everyone to do so if you've got your doubts over him, if you watch the work he puts in off the ball to allow Jack Rewell to get into, into a position to mark, it's astronomical the amount of work he puts in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 I've seen this... Um, 
before with, with, with Townsend sort of running all over, over the place and, you know, low stats numbers, but, um, you know, high pressure. And obviously um, he makes a contest and they know he's around. Um, and if you can bust up a few packs and whatnot for, um, and make space for Jack, then, you know, all the better for us. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I just thought his work rate was really good. He's such a selfless player, and that's why he, he's going to probably hold his spot for another few weeks to come. Um, now, I'm not sure if both of you guys saw this or not, but it wasn't. I didn't notice this until after the game. Obviously, we wouldn't have known being there. But it was brought out in the media that late in the last quarter, we're winning 85 to 82, and there's a stoppage inside the centre square, and the clock on Channel 7 is showing 42 seconds remaining. So the clock that they use is the official time. So there's no differential between what they show to what the scoreboard has. The ball's thrown up and almost 10 seconds of play commences before the official clock starts to count down again. How does something like that, one, happen, and two, the consequences could have been absolutely massive. If that clearance had gone Geelong's way after we got it forward or something like that and they had scored, it's a completely different result, Grok. Yeah, and it's one of those things, I was talking about that with a few friends today, and from what I understand about it, there was actually a boundary throw-in in our forward line about a minute prior to that, and the umpire called um, for, you know, to, to call for um, time off to, to be stopped, you know, the clock to be stopped for the throw-in, but it actually went for another 11 or 12 seconds afterwards. So the, the justification for them stopping the clock for 10 or 11 seconds through the middle of the ground was them trying to make up the, the time that they missed when um, the timekeepers missed the, the umpire's call for time on to be, to be stopped um, for that boundary throw-in. So it's one of those things. It was just, The length of time for the game was actually the same amount of time as it was scheduled. It was just them trying to wreck the fire mistake that they made, you know, about a minute earlier. But it's one of those things, you know, I could I could sort of see how without the knowledge that it was rectifying a previous mistake with the time that um, it would have been, you know, pretty, pretty um, sort of gut-wrenching if we had a loss. But it, at the same time, if it had gone the other way and they didn't call time on and Geelong had a, you know, took a mark sort of like what Lambert did, um, at the end of the fourth quarter where the siren had just gone before he marked it and you know Geelong almost had a shot after the siren knowing that they'd lost 10 seconds I'm sure they would have been filthy as well so I mean I could sort of see both sides of it with the Lambert one did, did he actually take that mark before the siren because it was I found it interesting they didn't have the shot from the naked eye it looked like he took it yeah, yeah I from- mean Oh, sorry, from where, go on. Where, yeah, from, from where Terra and I were, it sounded like the siren went just before he marked it. Okay. Yeah, yeah we, we, like Wright Grock says, we were actually together at the game, which is kind of a bit weird, but we were. And, um, you know, I think he marked it, um, you know, it, it looked to me just before the siren, but I was thinking, you know, why doesn't he have the shot? And, um, you know, I guess, do we know for sure that, um, you know, the umpire wouldn't let him have a shot or or was it called non-mark or uh, yeah. I wasn't exactly sure what happened there? Well, according to the rules, if he marks it and the umpire hasn't signalled that the siren's gone, he can still take his kick because the game officially ends when the umpire recognises the siren has, having gone and it was very marginal about whether he marked it before or after the siren and I really doubt that the umpire would have... Um, been able to to signal um, the game being over in in that you know minuscule moment anyway but I think the reason he didn't take the kick was it, it would have been a 50 51 meter kick from where he marked it and Lambert's not exactly the uh, the biggest kick 
in the world yeah, going around. So that, I don't that was, how he makes the difference. Yeah, I was going to say, my theory on it at the game was, okay, maybe, you know, Lambo just thinks he hasn't got the leg um, at that distance, which he possibly didn't have. But um still would have thought he would have had a go at it if yeah, he was allowed. You'd think he'd take the barrel. Thing. I mean, you've got... Yeah, yeah, he's got nothing. He's got nothing to lose by taking the kick anyway. It's not like they can, you know, turn the ball over and have it go back over his head for a goal. So, yeah. I mean, even if he didn't think he hasn't got the, even if he think he didn't have the distance, he should have just taken a ping anyway. Yeah. And Tara, what did you make of the matchup? Uh, I mean, Rance played on Hawkins for most of the game. How did you see those two line up? Yeah, I think you know there was a build up to it, obviously, and you know I think. Um, it was a worry with, you know, Hawkins being in such a good, you know, goal form of recent times. I think he had two sevens coming in or thereabouts. And, um, you know, that was, you know, fueling a little bit of my concern. He might get hold of Rance. Um, but, you know, I think Rance did a, you know, brilliant job and really, you know, shut him out. What, did he get one goal or something like that? And he didn't really look that threatening, um, not relative to someone like Jack anyway. So I um, thought it was, you know, another quality game by Rance and, and his support cast. Now, I know we're a Richmond-based podcast, but obviously one of the biggest issues that happened on the weekend was on Sunday in the uh, West Coast West Fremantle game with Andrew Gaff striking Andrew Brayshaw. Uh, Grok, you obviously would have seen the incident, no doubt. What, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I saw the incident, and i got to say it was very, very ordinary from, from Gaff. I mean, he's a player who's played over 150 games, has barely, you know, had anything, you know, barely given a free kick away in his career, and he goes and does something like that. And the thing for me was he didn't need to do it. He'd already he'd already created separation from Brayshaw with a little sort of bump. And Brayshaw obviously was giving him a little bit of lip about him having a good, uh, about uh, Brayshaw having a decent game and, I just think it sort of got underneath Gaff's skin. And, I mean, the biggest thing for me is there have been a lot of people suggesting that it was uh, a jumper punch gone wrong. Um, and and that that's laughable because – that's laughable for two reasons because the first one is you can't jumper punch – you can't jumper punch someone with a roundhouse swing. And two, you actually need to have a fistful of their jumper in your hand to actually make it a jumper punch. And – it's one of those things. Obviously, it's a, it's very very ordinary, and you know Brayshaw's now got to have Brayshaw now had surgery on his on his jaw. He's out for the season, and he had four displaced teeth. So you look at it. It's for Tom Bug last year got six weeks for his hit on um, Callum Mills, who played the next week. Brayshaw's actually out for the rest of the season now, so it's really hard to see him getting anything less than sort of seven, in my opinion. It should be gaff out for the rest of the season. Yeah, agree. And Tara, what's your take on it all? Yeah, similar, like, you know, nasty, nasty incident. There's just no place, obviously, for that type of thing in the game. And and when you think, you know, there's mums and, and, and dads and, and particular kids watching this sort of stuff it's just you know very very bad look and you know shocking you know we mentioned the tom bug one there and that was six as we mentioned but i think this one's worse um from from what i saw and just you know just not what we want to see in the game so you know his punishment will be his punishment and i think uh, it's going to be lengthy yeah and i know you know there's a lot of talking about him being a good person it's against his character and all that and while that may all very well be true and based on his like previous record it probably is true but End of the day, it is what it is. He did it. 
Um, any player who decides to take a swing at another player, whether they're trying to hit him in the stomach, chest, whatever it might be, just shouldn't do it because anything could happen in that split second and he's going to cost himself, yeah, potentially six, seven weeks. But it's going to be very interesting to see how the tribunal come up with their decisions. I suppose my yeah. argument was if Hawley got four for his elbow, he's throwing his arm back, and then Jeremy Cameron got five for his elbow, um, and Mills got six for his hit, then it surely has to be six to seven minimum. Well, what are your thoughts on um, the the notion that he should be facing criminal charges? I mean, I know there's a big thing about um, about it in WA with the Western Australian Police Commissioner saying that um, it, the case is actually going to be investigated by police. What well, what are your thoughts on that? I think it comes down to Andrew Brayshaw and his feeling on it. Um, uh, if he wanted to go down that path, I don't think anyone could hold it against him because uh, in any other workplace on the street, if that was caught on CCTV footage, the person who did it would 100% be charged with assault, no questions asked. Um, and I'd, I'd, why should an AFL workplace be any different? I'm not sure, but I think it comes down to uh, Andrew Brayshaw and, and how he feels about it and whether he wants to press charges, I guess. Yeah, my my thoughts on that are if that if that happens at any other league um, level, it, they they would be facing you know criminal charges. How many how many t- players do we see at local level get charged for you know assault? I mean, Ali Fahor last season got char- got charged with assault. It's it's one of those things. Why should playing in playing a professional sport at the top level in Australia make someone immune to? To um, you know, criminal charges for 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 a criminal act, and it's um, people are saying, you know, what happens on the field stays on the field. Well, that's that's a grey area in itself because where where are we going to draw the line? You know, what happens if someone does what Gaff did to Brayshaw and and causes someone to have an acquired brain injury? Should that stay on the field as well? It's it's one of those things where it, it's a grey area, and people are all are going to have their different uh, have a differing of opinions on, on the incident. And it's one of those things where I personally believe that Gaff should be facing criminal charges. Um, it's it's one of those things. It's an intentional act designed to hurt him. Even even if he had of you know aimed for the for the chest or the rib cage area, the fact that the, the the blow was strong enough to break his jaw and displace teeth. Even if he had got him in the ribs or the chest, he probably would have done, you know, cracked a rib or something if he had have gone where, you know, had a uh, connected where he where he intended to hit anyway. So, uh, I really don't see the the argument that he didn't intend to hit him there anyway. Uh, hit him there anyway because it shouldn't matter where you hit someone if you intentionally strike someone. You know, off the particularly off the ball, it should it should be a criminal charge, in my opinion. The other interesting point as well is there was an article posted in our thread, and I think on the main board thread as well, that a few years ago, in 2015, I think it was, uh, their CEO, I think, is Trevor Nisbet. He yep. so the West Coast sponsor one of the local leagues over there, and a play an amateur player had their jaw broken after an alleged behind the play strike, which prompted Trevor Nisbet to call for the thugs to be marched out of the game. Uh, he pretty much said that there's no place for that in the game and that anyone caught doing that should be deregistered. So he's come out and said that a few years ago about a local comp. Uh, and without seeing that incident side by side, it's hard to tell if it's identical or not. But the outcome seems very much similar to the same. So are they going to take a, a tougher stance on that as well, given that someone from within their own clubs come out and said that? Yeah, I actually posted an image 
on the actual Andrew Gaff thread on the umpiring board where I actually compared um, his comments from 2015 where he said any extreme violence um, should see players uh, deregistered. And then his comments today about Andrew Gaff being, you know, um, shouldn't be facing criminal charges and stuff like that. And uh, Nisbet actually said that the two incidents were were, vast, were vastly different. And I, I look at it, how, how different are they really? One, they both actually swung intentional strikes to players. Two, the incident resulted in, in broken jaws. And three, both required surgery. So in essence, how different are they really? Yeah, exactly. No, to me, they both fall in the same category, both intentional. Um, I suppose he's just protecting his backyard a little bit now. Yeah. But yeah, obviously a bit to play out of that one, so it'll definitely be a watch this space. We'll uh, move on to the roast and toast for this week. Uh, Grok, I've given you the roast. What have you got for us? Uh, it was, I was actually going to cover the Trevor Nisbet uh, thing. That was going to be my roast. Um, so I think I'll change tact and I'll probably go... Uh, I'll roast Chris Scott for his comments after the game on Friday night. Um, they, they were just completely disrespectful, um, saying that we needed a lot to go right for us to win. I mean, I don't really think that's the case. And Chris Scott's one of these coaches I've never heard him ever sort of give praise to the opposition. It's always, we didn't do this right, we didn't do that right, they got lucky. You know, we didn't play the way we wanted to. It's never, you know, they were a better side than us. Um, you know, they did this better than we did. Things like that. He always has an excuse for why they lost, and it's never because they weren't good enough or, or you know, the opposition was better than them. It's it's one of those things. He's he's, he's one of the biggest sooks in the AFL as a coach. I mean, it's really – it's one of those things where I really cannot find – a reason why he should be this way. Obviously, um, like, we need a lot for us to go right. Well, not really. We play our game and, you know, teams fall in a heap. All we have to do is pressure. That's not things going right for us. It's, you know, teams not being able to handle the pressure. I mean, Geelong had 96 turnovers on Monday, on Friday night. That's not things going right for us. That's not. That's just us doing what we do best and what we've done, you know, for 19 games at the MCG now. I mean, people are saying we need a lot. Uh, him, him saying we need a lot for us to go right to win um, is ridiculous because we didn't see this kind of logic in 2016. You know, when we were when we weren't winning games at the MCG and stuff like that. It's. I, I just think Chris Scott needs to get the sand out of his vagina and admit when his side's been beaten by a better side, better team. Yeah, all fair enough. Uh, Tara, you've got the toast for us tonight. What have you got? Yeah, actually, before I get on the toast, that, that stuff about Chris Scott, that really, really surprised me, to be honest. Like, as you say, um, Grock, he's got a bit of a history in the whinge and these types of things. I think he gets tarred a little bit with that brush from some, some way from his brother. But it just, it was sort of illogical. And I think it reeked of a sort of a desperate guy, like um, sort of, oh, you know, I, I've got to say something now to try to do some gamesmanship to, you know, should we go further on in the season and face the Tigers again? Um, you know, some sort of way to mentally get one up. But I, I actually think that'll backfire. And, you know, there's been a lot of press about that, that it'll be the first thing played, you know, on, on audio, should we play him again? So just kind of weird, I thought. Yeah. but And you have a look all week, all week 
in the lead up to the game, it was we've got a key to beat Richmond. You know, we've got this. You know, we're, we're trialing this. You know, we we believe we can beat them. All week he was saying, you know, they're going to get one up. Um, Dangerfield was saying, you know, they're probably going. The the boys are itching to get up and and beat us. And at, at the end of the day, after all the media he's done about beating us, he then goes and has a whinge because they lost. I mean, if you know, he spent all week building his side up and they fail and he, he again goes on the goes down the path of disrespecting us after after what happened during the week. It's just I don't think he really has any clue to be honest. Mm, yeah. But back to the toast. Um and I apologise if this one's been on a, a podcast previous, but um I, I wanna pro- toast our um general player development like four or five years ago there was constant criticism that you know we don't develop players we do do this we don't do that but if you look at you know the players that are providing our solid depth right now we've got Lambert off the rookie list Broad pick 67 Castagna off the rookie list Lloyd pick 66 Nankervis trade pick 45 Short 2015 rookie list, Townsend a fourth rounder, Butler pick 67, not to mention, you know, Grimes came off the preseason draft, you know, a while back. So there's just a lot of, um, you know, great depth there. And, you know, we always talk about living and dying by the, you know, strength of the bottom six. And, you know, we've just got a really solid um, bottom end, for want of a better word. Um, And then, you know, Hooley, Grigg, you know, they didn't cost us too much. So just being some really um, great player development i um also you know recruiting's obviously involved and i also think it's it's around culture and personal drive when you look at you know guys like lambert and i think that's just really infectious to you know get everything out of him he's had some knockbacks obviously but you know that sort of stuff it's you know under the title of player development but i just think there's culture too it's just been really you know just really really, really strong and you know by contrast you know we all know that you know Cochin, martin rance rewalt these guys first round draft picks that they're you know always going to be great players but when you look at where, where some of these guys have come from it's just been staggering in terms of you know their output and just wanted to toast that yeah that's a fair call and it really puts a lot of it into, into perspective doesn't it with how far everyone's come as a club um yeah it wasn't that long ago where we couldn't develop players to save ourselves so the whatever they've changed they've gotten it right and it's paying dividends now so that's a really good call um i've yeah, got a couple of quick... got... yeah oh, and then got... of course you got play... and then of course you got players like jack graham who who's developed i mean callum moore was a rookie and he's, he's shown signs at afl level it's just one of those things where I think our recruitment and player development over the past three or four years has probably been close to, if not the best in the AFL. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, I've got a couple of quick ones as well. I just want to quickly roast Carlton for still letting GWS score at a reasonable rate despite having two two extra players on the ground due to the Giants' injuries. I, I knew in my heart of hearts that I should have been turning that game off because it was diabolical, but I couldn't not watch what was unfolding with the Giants literally playing keepings off for different parts of the game with 16 blokes in the field. That's just beyond embarrassing. Um, and I want to do a quick toast because I have a funny feeling, and it hasn't been officially confirmed yet or not, but I think the Fable Singer song is now back at the MCG. I think it's the the old version with the dubbed lyrics. Yeah, it certainly sounded like that at the game. It sounded like it was going back to the, sort of the original style with just the um, that one little bit sort of edited in. So I think that that's it's so much better than that that garbage re-recorded version, in my opinion. And they've definitely changed on the membership. 
phone number because I was on hold today waiting to make a payment. And uh, it's definitely the original version back on there. So the power of the people. Very good work, everyone. But it definitely sounds a lot better. Yeah. All right, before we get stuck into the game, there's a couple of questions come through from listeners via Twitter. The first one was from Dan Ryan. Uh, and this one is, and I told him this, it's an evil question because it's like asking us to pick our favourite child. Um, so well, we, we might have to work through this together. When Graham, Prestia, Broad, Butler, Hawley, and even to an extent Conker, are all ready to come back in, who makes way for him? Yeah, it's like you say, who does make way? I mean, I think there's some there's some obvious ones that have come in recently and, um, you know, Manager Liam Baker, I think they're the easier ones, um, but I, I still rate Connor, by the way, but, um, you know, that's another argument. Um, but then it just gets way, way tougher. Um, you could say you could say Townsend, but, you know, we just, you know, sang up his praise, um, you know, 10 minutes back, and if, and if you rule out Townsend, then, then who else? It, it gets pretty tricky, and, you know, maybe some of these guys don't come back. I mean, Sam Lloyd's obviously a candidate as well too, but, um, you know, did some good things as well. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, Obviously, uh, Manager and and Baker will be out for Butler and and Prestia. I think they're the two that that come straight out. Um, Sam Lloyd will will probably probably come out as well. Maybe for Jack Graham. And obviously, it's it's those ones that are borderline. Obviously, Brandon Ellis and Camden McIntosh have found themselves um, in the the VFL for periods um, last uh, over the course of this year. So it's one of those things where you can make a case. I think two are probably the easiest ones to, to, to take out with Baker and Manajou. And then you could probably make a case for two or three others to come out as well. But it's one of those things. I really don't envy the match committee at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if it was sort of um, six weeks back, so I'd be probably, you know, putting probably thinking maybe Higgins could make way but you know he's obviously done some good things and his development for a first year player has just been been staggering and if I throw something really controversial in there <laughs> see what you think I'm not I'm, I'm thinking out loud here but um, any case for Rioli to be you know to be uh, <laughs> arrested or one to replace him I, I, I kind of doubt that you guys will agree but I just wanted to throw it out there and see if you thought there was any case at all. Uh, from no, from me. Offensively, yep. he's probably dropped a little bit in the last few weeks, but I still think that he's the cornerstone of our uh, defensive pressure, especially in the front half. He just seems to make everyone else stand a bit taller and work a bit harder. It's like he holds them to account with his work rate, if that makes sense. But yeah. uh, I would like to see him use his offensive flair a bit more as well. But that could be under direction from the coaching staff, so it's hard to tell. Yeah. yeah. So who? So who does? You know. You know what I mean. Like it's it's yeah. Well, tricky. The, the other one that I was going to throw out as well, which um, I, I've seen Sturge mention it as well on the board. I'm not 100 percent sure Hawley can come back into the team as easily as what some might think. Um, I, I think we've found some pretty good balance down back, and Jaden Short's playing that role exceptionally well. And when Hawley was in, I just felt we slowed down a bit down back, and it didn't seem as well balanced. So I'm not too sure if he'll slot back in straight away. Yeah, I, I don't think he will either, only for the simple fact when when Broad comes back into the side, because Broad, Broad will play, um, you know, he's one of those players that's pretty integral for our back line with, you know, his ability to sort of shut down players. That releases uh, Nick Floston to play more as a rebounder. He's been playing a lot more as that sort of medium intercept marking player and, 
you know, hasn't really offered us much in the way of sort of offensive capabilities. And I think that will, will change once uh, Broad comes back. So I, I really don't see the need for Hawley to come right back in. But in regards to the question that uh, Tara asked, about Rioli, I'm I'm in the no camp as well. Um, he, he's our number one uh, pressure forward um, in terms of total pressure acts and everything, and he, he's the cornerstone of of our of our forward forward structure. So yeah, it's, I, I can't see him getting dropped because it's no coincidence our forward lines looked much more creative and our pressure game up forwards got gotten much better since he's returned from injury. So yeah, I really can't see him being dropped. Yeah, for the record, I'm not sort of suggesting it either. I'm just sort of, you know, <laughs> cherry-picking names out and sort of uh, running with it. And also, you know, last year's Rioli, like, um, was it? Oh, against GWS in that final, you know, just just absolutely magical. And, you know, I think we need him in the, in, in the finals. But, you know, I think there'll be questions. And if these guys are going to come in, who comes out? That's the, you know, yeah. Yeah. $1,000 question, yeah. Absolutely. All right, the second question from Twitter was from TigerWilly85. Do we think that Bolton will stick around or will he look elsewhere? And the same with Callum Moore. Yeah. Um, uh, with Bolton, um, you know, obviously he put the contract uh, talks on hold to the end of the year and um, don't know how he'd be feeling about that now. Um, don't know how his management will be feeling about that now. I, You know, we've obviously got a wealth of... Um, of small forwards as, as we've spoken about and we've still got Stengel and, and other and Liam Baker now you know emerging as well so you know there's, there's competition for him I think he's he's got tricks there's no doubt and I've seen this at VFL level um, a little bit at AFL level mainly in VFL level there's lots and lots of tricks um, but I think there's got to be some question mark on um, what would you call it um, uh, just is work ethic and these types of things. So, you know, they're always been the question mark. And I still I still think they're the question mark. And I think that might count against him. And, you know, if I had to guess, I would say he'd probably looking elsewhere. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he'll probably be looking elsewhere. I mean, the position that he plays isn't exactly one that, you know, we're in desperate need of. As, as you said, you know, with Jack Higgins and, and Liam Baker coming in, this year, and we've got Castagna, Butler, Rioli, um, and Stengel waiting in the wings as well. It's one of these things where Bolton really needs to play a blinder to even really get a look in, and his work ethic and, and commitment um, to the side, and his, his consistency, not just through games, but quarter to quarter, is a huge reason why he hasn't really been able to, to crack into the senior side, and it's one of those things where he does have talent and his his trade value at the moment would probably be about roughly where we took him in the draft anyway. So it's not like he's gotten, you know, his, his trade value has declined and really plummeted because the only reason he hasn't really been getting games is because we're, the, the position that he plays, it's one that we're completely stocked with. So it's I could sort of see uh, him going back back home to WA, obviously, somewhere like Frio, because West Coast probably don't need him with Liam Ryan and, and all that coming through. But there have been reports that Adelaide are chasing him hard as well as, as they see him as a potential replacement for Eddie Betts in the next couple of years anyway. But, yeah, I really do think that he's he's on the way out. I mean, he, he gambled like Dusty did, putting his contract off until the end of the year, hoping he's going to have a decent year at AFL level, kind of like what Short did. and. 
it, it backfired on him, and now I really can't see a way back from him from here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he'll be gone as well. Um, with Callum Moore, we're going to have a bit more on this tomorrow night with Tiger 71, but from all reports, it does sound like that early on in the year, he wasn't happy with his position within the team. He wanted to get some more game time, um, but now he's obviously was playing a few more games. But there's reportedly some offers that have been thrown around from North Melbourne. So I, I'm not. I, I think I think with him, it's as simple as if we get Lynch, he probably goes. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I mean, Callamore's one that I would really like to stick around. I th- I've been a massive, massive rap for him um, over the past couple of years. He's he's got all the tools to be a solid player at AFL. He's he remind he sort of reminds me right now of a young Jack Revolt. You know, he's He's got that wiry, fl- wiry frame, but he's he's a good contested mark. He's athletic. He runs and and chases and tackles and pressures. He does all the little things really well. It's just at the moment, it's his kicking's letting him down. And I, I would really like to like him to stick around, but he, he's shown enough to be um, shown enough for us at AFL level where his trade value is probably going to be fairly high, especially to clubs. If if we do get Tom Lynch, um, who need a, who need a key forward, and if we can get anything in the realm of say a second rounder for Callum Moore, you, you'd really have to take have a look at it. Yeah, exactly. I think with the Lynch thing, like you know, obviously if Lynch comes, he's you know third banana, and you know it's it's, it's difficult to see how he'd break into the side. At, at, you know, it, when you know got a pecking order like that, so you know just even maybe for him himself you know like i'd be happy if he went somewhere else and and, and did well because i don't really see him getting a look look in if, if lynch comes and he stays fit yeah you can never begrudge someone wanting to get more game time that's completely fair enough but yeah i think there's a few things that have to fall into place for that to occur but we'll see how that goes uh, thank you for everyone sending through those questions as well really appreciate it we'll move on to the preview of the round 21 game versus gold coast who are 17th on the ladder um it's it, I know it's first versus seventeenth, but for us it's actually an important game because we pretty much we need one more win to secure a top two finish. So as it stands now, we can still get jumped by GWS and West Coast. Um, so probably the perfect time to get that extra win. It could be our first win interstate, but uh, I'd like to back the boys in to do it. Grok, what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I I, I think um, it's going to be one of those games where. Uh, I I am expecting a, a comfortable win. Um, obviously, Gold Coast are one of these sides who hasn't had a great 2018, but they have been competitive for in some games and have even you know caused a few upsets. You know, they knocked off Sydney just a few weeks ago, so they they are a dangerous side now, and especially when they've got nothing to play for and they're playing for pride. I mean, obviously, with it coming out that managers are telling their um, their draftees, you know, that they that they don't want to go to to Gold Coast. Obviously, that's going to sting uh, the Suns a little bit. So they'll be, you know, trying to show potential draftees that Gold Coast is on the up. So it's one of those things where I, I, I expect the Gold Coast to come out um, firing. But at the same time, I could sort. While it's a game that we need to win in terms of top two and locking it away. I could see us taking the opportunity just to play a few a few of the youngsters to give them a rest. I mean, obviously, Nankervis is integral to us and uh, he's been carrying a mountain of work. So I could see this being a game where we do bring in 
uh, Soldo to sort of play and cover and give Nank just a bit of a freshen up before finals. Um, obviously, uh, Noah Bolt has been in some ripping form in VFL level, so I wouldn't be surprised if the club decides to reward his form as well with a game. Um, it's it's just one uh, it's just one of those things where it I, I'm while I'm expecting a solid win, it also depends on how the club sees it. If they see it as an opportunity just to sort of freshen up a few of the blokes, because we do have Essendon and the Western Bulldogs who are who are much tougher opponents in the last two weeks. And Gold Coast, you know, it, they're I won't say easy beats, but they're not exactly you know world beaters as well. So uh, it's one of those ones where I do see us maybe taking advantage and, and giving blokes like uh, Nank and maybe maybe Rioli this week, just give him another week to freshen up as well. But yeah, it, I really do expect us to get over the top of them quite comfortably. Well, as, as I would have been completely on the same page as you with the resting players up until about 20 minutes ago when I got the email from the footy club that come through with Neil Balm uh, coming out and saying that we're not resters, we're players. Um, I don't think we've ever thought that much about resting blokes. We'd much rather play them than rest them. I think the players would rather play than not. And then he specifically mentioned Toby Nankervis and said that he don't think he'd be happy if we left him out. So it sounds like from all reports we're going full strength and not changing a thing. And the heading reads that Tigers could recall four flag stars for the Suns. So... I yeah. don't think much is going to change in the way of our lineup, which is, yeah, if that's what the club thinks is going to be what works best, then we'll obviously back him in. Um, Tara, what about your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I think similar to you know what Grok and you've added, Michael's like, I just wonder about that resting. Like, I wonder if uh, players can be managed through their you know time on ground um, a little bit. Like, yeah, they've been doing that with you know, Curvis. Yeah, like if that can continue, like I totally get the, you know, let's keep this continuous, I need to play sort of thing. We've heard that from players before. So, you know, if that can be managed a bit more or continue to be managed by time on ground, I think that's a good thing to do. But, you know, like I was sort of thinking, you know, maybe does Soldo does come in or whatever, give him a chop out. But, um, you know, I think they have to ask Nank himself. I think he'd probably, you know, know best. Um, in terms of the game, um, you know, You'd hope for a pretty easy win. I, I, I would say, you know, if I look through the Gold Coast Sun side and I and I have a look at it, you know, they've had you know some pretty bad um, run of injury themselves. Now Peter Wright um, going down, you know, first couple of minutes, um, you know, on the weekend's game, um, you know, they've already obviously the Lynchers out and the Andrew Swallow, Jack Martin, Sam Day, these guys. You know, there's a lot of depth there, um, and they have didn't have that much to start with. So, you know, when those keys go out, it doesn't leave that much in terms of um, you know star quality and that sort of stuff. So I, I would expect if you know we apply ourselves and we should do, um, you know, to try to lock in the top two, then. You know, we should come out an easy easy win, I would have thought. Yeah, I think the only player they're getting back of note is Stephen May. I think he's back from suspension this week. Um, but like I was, I watched a bit of their game on last weekend against Melbourne, I think it was, and then even just looking at their lineup on paper, it's their forward line that really worries me on their behalf. That there just doesn't seem to be real any firepower in there. And I think our back line's going to pick them apart pretty easily, to be honest. Yeah, I mean. They've got some sort of, you know, known quantities in there, Highbrow and Pierce Hanley and Riscatelli, but, you know, like you say, I think we've just got too many weapons there and, um, um, you know, too much scoring power, too much defensive um, power as well. So, look, I don't, I don't want to get cocky because we've seen what, what happens when that, you know, when you do do that. But, uh, look, uh, I would see an, an easy win for Tigers. 
Yeah, a bit like Goxeed as well at the start. I I expect Gold Coast to come out firing as well because they do have a bit to prove. They're not going to be happy about their performance last week. Uh, and playing at home in front of their home crowd is always going to fire them up a little bit. Um, so it, it might be a heated contest for the first 10, 20 minutes, but I don't think they're going to be able to sustain it and go with us for the duration of the game. Was there any other then, key matchups you yeah. were looking at, Grok? Or? Um, now there's also one thing to make note of too. I mean, you can't play down the Tom Lynch factor as well. I mean, mm. obviously it's come out that we are the front runners for Tom Lynch and the Gold Coast players will know that. So I think there might be, you know, a bit of extra motivation for them to come out and actually put in a decent performance against us sort of as a little bit of a one finger salute to Tom Lynch, uh, you know, and him departing. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting game in that regard. I could see the Gold Coast Suns maybe becoming a little bit more physical with us than what they'd otherwise would be as well as, you know, just sort of, sending a bit of a message to Tom Lynch that they, they don't accept it. Um, in terms of uh, other matchups, um, obviously um, the, the midfield battle's going to be going to be a good one. Gold Coast midfield's pr- reasonably strong. Um, their back line, obviously Rory Thompson's been in some really, really good form. He's a solid defender. Stephen May coming back um, will be solid. It, their forward line is probably the weakest line that they have, um, and we all know our back line's probably our, our strongest. So I really can't see Gold Coast breaking our back line too often to score. So yeah, I, I just think in terms of overall matchups, we've probably got the better quality pretty much on every line all over the park. Yep, no, I agree with all that. All right, before we let you both go, we'll get a, a final prediction, including margin. Tara, I'll start with you. Yeah, uh, probably have to back it up now. I mean, look, uh, I think six to ten goals, so let me pick, you know, 45 points, Tigers. No worries, Croc. Uh Richmond by 61, I think. I think it would be a very, very comfortable win. I reckon the Tigers by about 45, so... Hopefully that, that keeps makeshift happy. He's always honest about our predictions. Um, <laughs> just a reminder, the game is on. When is it on? Saturday night, isn't it? At, no, Saturday during the afternoon at 2.10pm at Metricon Stadium. Um, hopefully everyone who's going over there has safe travels and enjoys the sunshine, unlike the crap we have down here. So, Grokodok, Terra Tiger, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you thanks so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, go Tigers, and make sure you tune in tomorrow night for the Trade Talk special with Tiger71 for all your Tom Lynch updates, which should be fascinating. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers.